0: in the new recording channel that Danny created.
1: It's titled The New Recording Studio, Premises of Mark
0: Field. Well, I, di- I didn't know that Discord would delete the channel that you were using while you were using it. That seems silly. It's very funny. But anyway, here we are. We're back again. And Danny, I'm excited about today. I'm well, extremely excited. I'm not about excited about today. But I, I hope that that dynamic creates thing. interest.
1: Ever, I think this will be the best thing you yeah. we'll ever. Do that's right. Do you have this any, week, wh- we're gonna. Say, I would just
0: want to know if you had any life updates. Besides, oh, well, I was gonna say this we're to week be we're going
1: doing. to Disney World and then <laughs> move on.
0: Oh, yeah, we do have an issue that we don't really introduce anything until halfway through, but oh well.
1: Hey, but you know what we do introduce the yes. podcast and this new canned intro we have.
0: Oh, yeah, well, I thought it would be nice to have something canned. Welcome to Looking for the Ocean where we watch everything Pixar ever. That means uh, looking, I mean, t- uh, <laughs> <laughs> that means in movies, tech demos, and more. I'm Mark Young. With me is Danny Vincent.
1: And let me tell you, we're at Disney World. Do I have live updates? I saw, P- I don't want to butcher the name, but I'm pretty sure it's Pathan, having watched the entire film. It's a new Indian film out starring mm. uh Shah Rukh Khan, I think. His name is always, like, people always call him SRK because he's, like, the biggest movie star in India. Yeah, it's
0: Shah Rukh Khan. Is he a young guy?
1: No, he's, like, 50. He's in his mid-50s. He's compared to, like, I saw someone. There's a guy on Twitter named Scott Mendelson who I often, like, bag on because I follow him because he's, like, one. he used to be the financial, like, he used to be the film guy at Forbes. And he always, like, has bad takes. But they're kind of Mm -hmm. funny. But what I saw recently was he went viral in India in the negative sense because he wrote an article comparing Shah Rukh Khan to Tom Cruise and everyone in India was like, nah, he's bigger than Tom Cruise, which actually seems accurate from what I've heard about him.
0: Um, Yeah, I definitely recognize him, but I couldn't think of a movie that he was in.
1: I believe it's his first film since COVID. So that's why it's like a big deal. It's also apparently the fourth film in a cinematic universe, which I was on. I thought it was the second film. I knew it was like. I knew there was another character played by Salman Khan who does show up in the middle of the film as his character from this other movie. But I assumed it was only one other movie. But it turns out this is the fourth movie in this series. Um, But the first one with um, SRK's character. But I'm not here to talk about the film. I'm here to talk about the trailers I got from the film. Because I got a trailer for Mario, which is whatever. But then I got... Usually I get two Indian trailers when I see an Indian movie. Because I go... The AMC by my work gets Indian and Korean films. So usually you get, like, all the normal AMC trailers, and you get two trailers of, like, the... Sp- like, if it's a Korean movie, two Korean trailers. If it's an Indian movie, two Indian trailers. I got, I believe... I can double-check this, but I believe I got five Indian trailers. And I was like, whoa, I get to see, like, the entire, like, lineup of, like, the Indian movies coming out. That's really exciting, because it's, like... Normally I only see the stuff that... No, I got four. Um, The stuff that's coming out. And one of them is a movie I'm so hyped for... Uh, It's from a director who I... Well, I saw his last one and I hated it, but I think the premise of this is so brilliant that I love it. Can I tell you what it is? It's an Indian comedy. It's titled Selfie with two Es. And the way the trailer is set up is like, there's this guy who is a... I think he's like a cop, but if it was an American remake, he'd be like an officer at the DMV, okay? And he is the biggest fan of this superstar I believe he's supposed to be like a stand-in for SRK or like a, any Bollywood star. It doesn't really matter. He's just like a big star that everyone loves. And the one thing he wants to do, he's like a single dad. And he wants to get a selfie with the star. And the thing is the star comes in to get his license renewed at the DMV. And he's like, can we just take a selfie for my son? And his son is like right there. And the star is like, no, you think you can have power over me just because I need my driver's license from you? no way and then it's like the guy's like you embarrassed me in front of my son so now I must get revenge and it's just like a wacky comedy of like the fan it's like the world's biggest star versus the world's biggest fan it's like the premise of the movie I'm like this looks great I I, this looks like 100% like I hope it's good cause uh it looks really like the type of solid bad comedy we used to get in America all the time with like it looked like a two thousands Adam Sandler comedy. Uh today it would probably be made with like Pedro Pascal as like the dad and like I don't know. Tom Cruise wouldn't make fun of himself as like the star. Maybe RDJ as the star, if you could somehow get him hooked onto it. Like a mm-hmm. due date esque film. But I was like, nah, this looks great. I'm very excited for selfie. What's this guy's previous film that you hated? <laughs> oh, good news. It's um that's my one thing I'm iffy about, is one thing I've noticed watching some Indian films is a lot of them have, like, weird... And it's because we have cultural differences. I don't want to, like, judge entire culture. But, like, there's some very weird, like, cultural messages in, like, RRR. And in Python, which I just saw. Um, normally able to ignore them. But Good News... Well, Good News also wasn't funny. It's spelled... By the way, it's spelled N-E-W-W-Z. That's what Good News is. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot of the movie, it's a sex comedy about artificial insemination. And at the intermission is where the plot of the movie actually starts because this is what I was told is like they mixed up the sperms at the hospital oh no and like the plot is like oh no now our families are intertwined I'm like not really that's always what I think when I see stuff like this it's like not really you guys can just ignore each other it's really awkward and you can have a laugh about it but like you have no rights to that child and no rights to that child so let's just let's just move on but then it's like it has this they keep repeating, like, lines like, it's blood that makes you family. That's the whole thing. It's, like, it's a very, like, we can't adopt a kid. We have to, like, like, they outright say, like, no, we need blood. We can't, we need to have a blood relations. I can't adopt a kid. That'd be wrong. And it's, like, a very weird, like, I don't know what this is trying to say. And at the end, they're, like, yeah, we do all have to get along. But it's, like, no, you shouldn't because one of them is ruining your life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's...
0: Yeah. But I mean, it sounds very American.
1: Yeah, it very much is, like, uh, I'm trying to think who would be, like, the American... I mean, the obvious American remake would be, like, Jason Bateman is one of the leads, and the other guy is, like, Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> like, those would be the dads in it, you know, if it was an American I, comedy. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: feel like a lot of comedies now are not super, like, not woke. Like, there might be, you know, misogyny or something like that. But most of them are about, you know, underdogs taking revenge on people in power, and I don't think that there's any you know big issue with that it's not about like what i never saw i never saw like the daddy's home what am i thinking of the mel the, the, gibson i haven't thing? seen
1: daddy's home movies either but i've been wanting to actually i've heard good things i don't even but know daddy's if
0: home. i like named the right franchise that I'm daddy's thinking home's of. The one?
1: will ferrell and mark Wahlberg, and mel gibson's in the sequel wow. so that's what I thought it was kind talking. of a good guess okay yeah.
0: great but i'm like you know what what can those be about right
1: I think we're we're also, like, in an interesting spot right now of comedy, at least in America, where it's, like, it's gone, mostly, other than, like, some streaming. Mo- no, no, okay, here's hear me out. Is, you know, we have this, I think, when the internet of, like, I don't want to say film Twitter, but, like, you know, people connecting each other over the internet over, like, about film. I think one of the first things that really happened in America, once, like, that, that became, like, the main force of connection, like, around 2012, 2013, um, was, like, this idea of vulgar tourism, where it's, like... Michael Bay is actually great because you can see every movie, er, er, like all of the details in his film that make him his film. And uh, I'm trying to think of another director who's like Michael Bay in that sense where it's like, he's bad, but he's good because he's bad. Um, and not like at the time, M. Night, because he hadn't made his comeback yet, um, was like that too. Um, I still, I, now I think M. Night's great, but I, you know what I mean? It's like reclaiming these bad filmmakers. And I think yeah, right now, like,
0: oh yeah, what, I
1: no, it. I think right now we're in this thing where it's like, people are doing that for comedies, comedy stars, because since Uncut Gems came out, but even before Uncut Gems came out, people were like, Adam Sandler is actually pretty good. But people, it's not just been like, you know, like Uncut Gems is good and Punch Drunk Love is good. It's been like, nah, Mr. Deeds, Mr. Deeds is a good movie. Uh, Bedtime Stories is a good movie. Jack and Jill is a good movie. It's like, I think I've seen the same for, like, Eddie Murphy movies. And I'm trying to think, I I, I really, because I actually didn't grow up with these types of comedies, um, other than, like, Daddy Daycare, or Bedtime Stories, because we're, like, the kid um, Adam Sandler movies and Eddie Murphy movies. But, like, now we're in this state where it's, like, we don't have comedy stars anymore. So it's, like, Hoobie Halloween just came out, and it's actually really funny, because no one else knows how to make comedies like Adam Sandler does nowadays.
0: And I'll you check out Hoobie Halloween. This is... Incredible news.
1: I like To Be Halloween. It was good. That's the whole thing to me. It's like We have this thing now where it's like there are no real American comedies being put out by stars. Like, Yeah, Jason Bateman will do a comedy once in a while, but is he a comedy star? No, he's just an actor. It's not like Adam Sandler where you watch an Adam Sandler movie. Right? That's the thing. Is you this, watch like, this, a
0: Kristen I, movie. Do you think she's not a star? Does
1: Kristen Wiig do Kristen Wiig movies? Or like Melissa I McCarthy? Possibly. McCarthy is probably the last one. And the thing is, though, with McCarthy is we're not at that stage where we, re, we are reclaiming her yet. You know? She doesn't have the... Re- the thing about her is like she's always had the reputation where she's good as long as she's not in a Ben Falcone movie. Like, it's very much like... Just to watch the movies her husband directed, and you're probably gonna have a good time. Or a decent time. Um, But Adam Sandler has always been like, nah, his movie's like, grown-ups, that's bad. But now there's like even people are like, no, grown-ups is like a masterpiece. And I don't agree... I haven't seen these movies, so I can't really speak to them. But I think it's interesting that we live in this stage now where it's like be Halloween is a big deal or like um, Hustle. Is, you know, like the Adam Sandler Netflix movie is like a big deal now, whether it's a drama or a comedy, I feel like.
0: Mm-hmm. And- well, yeah, I see what you're saying. I kind of hesitate to put like films by Adam Sandler where I think you have good films and you have bad films and he just has a very long career and I think some things are more well regarded than other things. And then you have Michael Bay, where actually I think his films are very consistent with some... I mean, it's... The Rock is... I like The Rock. (laughs) Well, I mean, and, and a lot of people are like, Pain and Gain is his big movie, but I don't see a lot of difference. And like some things you might see like, oh, a Transformer shouldn't be doing that or something like that, which I think is a silly thing to say. But I think... I think they're they're all basically the same movie. You Have know? you seen
1: Ambulance yet? I'm just curious. I'm like halfway
0: through. I,
1: I mean, it's worth really it for the drones, care. but otherwise, it's kind of whatever. Yeah, and I like I like the cast, um, but it's hard for me not to like a cast, even in a Michael Bay movie. But um, what I'm saying
0: is, like, the thing that's, to me, the, my perception of it is that Michael Bay altogether, his films are just kind of the way they are. And there's a lot of technical ability and that's what people are praising versus Adam Sandler, who I think people think is funny, but he's also like sometimes the funny works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's why some Adam Sandler films are more well regarded than others, because like sometimes he tries a joke and people laugh at the joke and then that's a good movie. But it's like no no one is ever like... I mean, oh, Michael you, Bay, your crazy crane movement was bad or something I like mean, that. I mean, no, you know? but
1: you're, you're right. But my point is, I feel like for Sandler, it's always been like, Zohan is good. And like, um, you know, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison are good. Or like, and you have people, you know, who will go to bat for like the Waterboy or something like that. I think nowadays, I see like on Twitter, it's like, everyone's like, yeah, Jack and Jill is great. be Halloween is great. Sandy Wexler is great. And it'll be like all these deep cuts. That I'm like, I didn't even like know these existed. <laughs> Or, like, I even see, in, on the other hand, for Eddie Murphy, I see people who are like, yeah, Norbit's actually a really great movie. You just gotta give it a chance. And it's like, what? Like, and it's something where I can't speak against it, because I've never seen these movies, because I was told they were bad. And I'm not really in the mood to watch, like, Norbit. But it's something where I'm like, is Norbit a good movie, and we just didn't give it a chance, because we didn't know, like, how to accept its type of comedy at that time? Or is Norbit bad and it's just we don't have comedy stars anymore so we appreciate that Norbit exists
0: yeah it's an interesting question I think it's very hard to separate a comedy movie from a comedy star
1: yeah um I want to purchase I want to find out how much the cost the rights cost for an American remake of Selfie even before I see it because I think it would do really well in America too even though I'm sure the... In, I'm, I'm going to see the Indian one because I think it looks very fun and I hope it's not disappointing.
0: Are you are you the thing that's wrong with America? You think everything has to be a remake to appeal to American audiences? Am I you asking just... to
1: remake RRR? No, I'm
0: not. Well, you're asking... What do you mean? You're asking to remake this other thing.
1: Well, because self, selfie looks like the type of thing where, like... It could make money. Every to... country should have one. Every country should have a selfie. The other weird thing I noticed in these trailers, and this is just one thing I wanted to say that I thought... You know, you watch an American comedy trailer, there's almost always, like, the pop culture gag that, like, is in the trailer, and I saw one where it's, like, um, the basic plot of it is, it's another comedy, and it's, like, this guy discovers he's the actual heir to, like, this very rich guy, and he goes in to move in and like they were switched at birth. And the actual guy's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, your DNA doesn't, you know, in a way this sounds like a lot like good news. So I'm kind of curious if this is the same thing where it's like, hey, your blood's the only thing that matters. And this guy gets kicked out <laughs> even though he's lived there with that family the whole life. But anyway, there's, so the poor, the actual heir at the scene sees a role just works, Which, you know, has, you know, the logo with the phone. he's like, he looks at it, he points and he goes, is that Raja car? Because it says RR on it. And I'm like, haha, oh. it's a pop culture joke. That's for India, but I get it because I watch the most popular Indian movie. Indian movie that came out last
0: year. <laughs> Ugh, Pathan was oh, alright. Just that. that first half was better in than
1: me. second. Of Pathan. I'm just saying, the first half was better than the second half. It has a couple weird twists where it's like, huh, this movie is really textually interesting in a way I wasn't expecting, but also like in a way that I don't think it's ready to actually analyze. <laughs> um, like how do you mean? Um. This this might be a spoiler, but I don't really think it is, because there's about an hour left in the movie when this is revealed, because it's an indie movie, so it's really long. But it is oh, revealed in the second half is like the bad guy is um his plot is revealed to be that he's making a like variant of smallpox to unleash and weaponize. But what I noticed more was like, you know, No Time to Die has a virus plot too, but it was shot pre-COVID. And this they're like they actually say in the dialogue, like, yes, this virus is way worse than COVID. COVID would kill you in a week. This could kill you in a couple hours. And it's like, huh. I think this is the first, like, spy virus movie. I've Because that's, like, a common, you know, spy trope. It's like, we got to stop the super virus from getting out. But this is the first one I've seen where it's like, hey, it's actually, like, post-pandemic. And, like, COVID happened in this universe. And I think that's really interesting that the movie, like, goes out of its way and be like, yeah, this is definitely worse than that thing that actually devastated us. A while back, and then it just keeps. Go- and the movie just goes on. It's like we're not. We're not worried about triggering the audience of like bad COVID memories. We want to acknowledge that it happened, and we're doing a spy plot with that. I think that's interesting. I don't think the movie actually grapples with it.
0: It's a long shadow in my mind. That I mean, obviously, but people have said this before. But it's called COVID, and it's not like called the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu, to me, is like wrought iron and full of curls and things like that. And COVID is very iPhoney and flat and everything, and I don't like that. I don't like that we're now living in this century. Um, I,
1: mean, I think, yeah, I don't think anyone's like that COVID app. No, I know what you're saying. Well, I, what no, you're saying. I, mean, I know I'm, what you're COVID does sound like we're going to be talking about COVID ten years from now. You know, we'll talk about COVID our whole lives. Like,
0: just, yeah. <laughs> well, there's something COVID seems like it's so connected with stupidity to me. Yeah, and. um killing people sort of like no no bad guy you have is as bad as like the fear that covid created
1: i will i want to say the other thing i wanted to say about the bad guy is i think it's one of those things where it's a cultural difference where the you know the hero is like an agent of the indian government and the bad guy is like a former agent that deflected and it's like he doesn't believe in Mother India anymore, and it's like that's really bad. But then when he gives his reason why, it's like the most sympathetic reason ever. And until he goes like, "Yeah, I'm going to unleash a smallpox variant in Delhi that will kill the entire population in an hour," before he, before he gets to that point, you're, I'm kind of like, "No, everything he's saying is really valid." Because it's like they he was a, his backstory is um, he recovered like a diplomat from Somalian pirates. Um, but then they kidnapped him and his pregnant wife and shot his pregnant wife like in the womb to kill her and the baby at the same time because the government didn't pay the ransom so i'm like no like very valid that he wants to destroy india like there's no like and like the hero goes like he gave so much to your country you couldn't give a little money for him and the guy guy's like we don't negotiate with terrorists and at the end like yeah they don't negotiate with terrorists which is like the right attitude i guess but it's like I, I, he's completely like in his reasons to want revenge on all of you guys i am rooting for him <laughs> so, so, like, like, <laughs> why did you see this movie it's been getting like good good buzz um and whenever there's an Indian movie that gets buzz- good buzz i try to see because i have the amc that shows the indie movies and the, mm. and i've said before they also show korean movies and i think it's cool that i have that opportunity um, and you know, I was kind of in the mood for an Indian action movie because they do shoot action very different than how we do in America now. That was another thought I had while watching it. It reminded me a lot of Mission Impossible too. and I realized that if we were in the 90s, um, you know how, like, people were, like, taking John Woo and, like, eventually, uh, in the early 2000s, Ang Lee to do Hulk. And, you know, you were taking these foreign directors and giving them action movies because they did really good action movies overseas. I had the realization mm-hmm. that if we were still, like, in the 90s, but, like, Indio was where they were now they would just be plucking him from India. Like Raja Mouly would be doing an exhibition impossible or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, that was an interesting thought I had where I was like, huh? Yeah. Cause I was watching this and it was very MI2. Um, mm-hmm. but I liked it more than MI2. Cause I think MI2 is really not
0: good. <laughs> Cause
1: it still has Tom Cruise, like trying to give a dramatic arc and that doesn't work for the type of story it's got like the type of action it's doing. Do you um, think
0: that's still happening? Because I feel like I see a lot of like action, foreign action movies and action movie clips and then I never hear from these people again.
1: No, I don't think it happens anymore. I think what you have in America now is you get the Sundance filmmaker who does the Marvel movie. Why mm. would you get a, a foreign filmmaker who's good in... Why would anyone in a foreign country like Roger Muley want to make a movie in America where they're not going to get a final cut? Yeah. When they can make a movie like RRR or even Platon, which is doing really well everywhere. Um, and have your complete control of your action movie. Um, I also had a weird thought about well, but it's RRR. After it was leaving and I made the Mission Possible production, I was like, huh, you know, probably if John Wick goes to five, we'll get the RRR guys in a scene like how the raid guys are in three. Or like they maybe uh. will they would ask, I feel like. Like I feel like at that point Stahelski would be like, yeah, because he likes having like Donny N's in the new one, you know? So he like he like getting these um foreign stars for random bit parts not bit parts. Donnie N looks like he has a big role in John Wick 4, but you know what I mean. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be I wouldn't be surprised if they turn it down, but I would also be like, I feel like they're gonna be offered it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, of, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know if anyone, this, that's not related. I was thinking about Amitabh Bachchan in The Great Gatsby, but that's not really the same thing. That, is a, that is... is a good point, though,
1: how mm-hmm. he's in that. Well, and, I um, mean, that's, it's the very Indian, superficial. I don't, I don't the think ba- that says anything the about Wait, The Bollywood like, actress Susan Tennant is in this movie, too. She plays, like, the CIA, not the CIA, you know, the Indian intelligence um, handler for the Pathan.
0: Mm hmm. I'm sure there's overlap. I don't know a whole lot about the action movie scene and how cross pollination works and all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think I do think within a couple of years we will be seeing some RRR influence here because it was such a big deal. Um, I say that I say RRR specifically because even though yes we'll be influenced by Indian movies in general, but I think RRR is obviously the push. You know the one that like a lot of people who might not necessarily see these types of films always goes went and saw or watched on Netflix rather.
0: Yes, and <laughs> um, can we? You don't want to see John Wick
1: dance? Do not do not do. You don't see John.
0: <laughs> That's fine. Well, yeah, I recently watched La Strada for the first time, which was a big Fellini hole for me, and I think I just like wasn't at a point in my life until recently where I would care about it but i enjoyed it Strada is one of his earlier ones when he's switching from neorealism to uh magical realism
1: no sorry go on i mentioned it once on snuff club was always gonna say
0: oh well i mean i recommend everyone watch it i really enjoyed it it was just i don't think uh, i've seen
1: any it's, fellini was, hmm? so he's a disadvantage for me in general i don't think i've seen any fellini
0: i i think eight and a half is one of the movies that i've seen like more than any other movie but I feel like- yeah He's like someone,
1: it. it's, it's something where I feel like he's someone who I'm really bad about because he's like, oh, I would go see him if he ever, like, they ever scream of his movies. But then, like, the Siskel Center does, like, a retrospective on him where all the showtimes start at six on a Wednesday, so I can't go to any of them. So I'm like, oh, I'll just wait for the next time. But it's like, there's not going to be a next time for a while because once we get an actual retrospective, they don't do, you know, another one really quickly.
0: Oh, those are both on HBO Max. Would you not care about watching them if they're on Fifth HBO subtitles. Max? No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm yeah.
1: joking uh how long aren't they isn't eight and a half really long
0: they're like two and a half hours it's
1: pretty pretty long for me to watch at home personally mm. although i'm gonna try to get food blonde before the oscars so maybe not maybe maybe i could do a fully if i do a blonde if i do blonde because blonde is three hours long
0: no nah, i mean it's you know it's whatever i just i just really liked him and he's someone that i watched a lot of when i was younger but i just had never seen Lestrada. And I th- it's, I don't know, La like, very depressing and kind of ugly, so I didn't, like, want to come to it until now. I've usually watched his prettier things, but now I was like, I care about, like, performers who kind of suck, and, like, they're in this terrible, abusive relationship with each other and that sort of thing, so...
1: Isn't it, um... What was it... What... Eight and a half is one that, all that j- inspired all that jazz, right? Yeah. Okay. I just feel like L- Lestrade inspired something else that was kind of big. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Because I haven't seen I'm
0: it. I'm anyway. sure. But yeah. I can't think of it either. That's all for do me. It. It's been like four days.
1: Yeah. Since do you want to know what I'm doing tomorrow? What? I'm going to do a crazy quadruple feature.
0: Whoa.
1: I'm going to see Some Like It Hot at the Music Box in the morning on 35 mm-hmm. millimeter. Um, then I'm going to kill time at the AMC for and watch Close, which is one of the Oscar-nominated foreign films that I think I'm going to hate, but it's really so that way I don't need to drive home and then drive back somewhere else. And then I'm going to Facets, which is a theater I've only been to once before. Um, they're actually videos; they're like a video store combined with a movie theater. I saw Passing huh. there, which is um, a Netflix movie that was really poorly released by them. Like Kind like, like um, mm-hmm. of like of Wilde.
0: But if I passing. remember...
1: Yeah, Passing was... And it, it, that was a movie I was glad I saw on the big screen. Because it's kind of slow cinema. And I feel like slow cinema at home is hard to watch. It's not actually slow cinema. I feel like if I, I label it slow cinema, someone's going to come at me and be like, Excuse me, have you seen... Um, Goodnight, Dragon Inn, or something like that. I'll be like, no <laughs> happen, and I know that's actually slow cinema. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> um, is that a real
0: movie? What? I should, you don't I know Goodnight, at... Dragon Inn? Man, oh man, if this is some slow it's, cinema. Uh, I don't remember
1: the name of the filmmaker, and you're going to say the name of the filmmaker. I've seen uh, another one of the filmmaker's movies, which was Days, which I really enjoyed, but I would never be able to watch at home. I saw it at the Cisco Center. Um, mm-hmm. But Goodnight, Dragon Inn is considered his masterpiece, and I was really mad because I saw Days... After they did their 35 millimeter festival at the Music Box, um, mm. where they had Goodnight Dragon in, and once I saw Days, I was like, oh, I should have seen Goodnight Dragon in, because that's considered to be better than Days. And I, really, oh, I enjoyed Days a lot.
0: This looks fantastic.
1: Do you not know this filmmaker at all?
0: He's Tsai Ming-Lang and a lot of Taiwanese guys are a blind spot for me. Growing up, it was all, like, European heads, and then my big thing is, like, a ton of Japanese films from the 20th century, not, like, watching so, watching whole filmographies and are, things are there like that. Are other
1: areas of East Asia, like, blind for you besides Japan? Like, have you seen Korean filmmakers? Have you seen... Besides, of course, like, Bong. I know everyone's seen Bong and Park.
0: Well, I'm... I mean, yeah, I'm pretty... I mean, I'm... I don't know. I'm caught up kind of on Korean filmmakers and... But Hong Kong. Things like that. The,
1: Hong Kong John is
0: okay. I mean, my, my big things that I'm really unaware of are like mid-century English films and African cinema. And that's, you know, me also saying oh, like yeah. African cinema is absurd. But I mean, mostly like Usmani Sembene and people like that. But, um, I, but I mean, to I've, th- seen, and I've seen like one, one or two things from most other places if you want to think about these well, things Well, you nationally.
1: should watch... Well, I haven't seen Good Night Dragon in, but days i really enjoyed but that's a movie you have to really like be willing to sit at because i think it and i talked to people who like are big like fans of this director because days is the only one i've watched like because i saw it in the theater and i think i could never watch movies at home because his movies are kind of like designed to like put you in a meditative state and then shock you back into it briefly and then put you back in that meditative state so i was like watching days and i was like is it i think i enjoyed it but i wasn't really paying attention to the movie for a lot of it and that my friends were like no yeah that's what you're supposed to do <laughs> like when you watch this guy's movies you're supposed to like think about mm-hmm. your life and how it relates to what you're seeing so I'm like yeah. okay good then that's fine but my point is like it's not something where you like watch it in front of your tv and have your phone out you know don't do that because then you're not yeah. really doing what you're supposed to be doing um but what i was gonna say is that facets i'm going to see well i was originally just gonna see bound because they're showing Bound as their Valentine's Day programming which I've never mm-hmm. seen but I noticed that it's only $3 more to also see make it a double feature with Ginger Snaps which I asked a few friends who have seen it and they're like you Bro, should see ginger it.
0: Ginger Snaps is great. Okay,
1: well good cuz I'm more into
0: I'm more I'm more going out there for Bound. Cause it's Nah Bound is a completionist movie I think Ginger Snaps I know Snaps plenty of people really Who enjoyable. disagree with you I know plenty okay. of people
1: Who say Bound Is a top three Wachowski So I will still see Bound Very excitedly And I will also see Ginger Snaps Because it's only Three dollars more And you seem excited About Ginger Snaps too But you weren't the only Like I talked to a couple Other people earlier today And they're like Yeah you should see Ginger Snaps mm-hmm. um, Even people who haven't seen Are like No yeah You should probably see it If it's an opportunity To just see it For three more dollars Why not
0: well, I like Ginger Snaps in the same way that I like Twilight. It's all about the aesthetic. And my mm-hmm. my thing with Bound is that like I think Bound is fine. I just like I'm I'm much more a fan of their headier stuff and I think that like whenever they like lean into the genre y thing and they're just kind of like, we're just the Wachowskis are like, We're just doing a genre. I'm kinda Does like, this, Oh well
1: Will this do it? Will this end? My Wachowski journey? I'm checking right now. I, will I be a completionist once I watch this? I think I might be, actually. Which is kind of crazy to think. But other than sense of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh my gosh. I will be a Wachowski completionist once I watch this. I didn't realize that for some reason. Mm-hmm. Besides, of course, Sensei, Which, someday I, mean, no, I should watch. It's
0: been forever, and I haven't... like reevaluated my thoughts on bound
1: that's like actually insane to me to be like oh, oh shit i can put up a chowski list after i see bound and be like here are my rankings Take a watch guess what sense the eight well you you can't put a sense eight on i mean i guess you could put the finale movie on letterbox in your like list but oh. that's my point is i would put up a list it's not like i'm gonna put sense eight on my list on letterbox oh, well. but yeah anyways, letterboxd. so i'm gonna do four movies oh, tomorrow well, i'm just saying i'm gonna oh. do four movies tomorrow it's gonna be a long time
0: So wait, you're doing uh, Some Like It Hot, Close, Bound Ginger Snaps? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of Letterboxd, should we do the Letterboxd game?
1: Yes. What is the Letterboxd game, you might ask, if you somehow are clicking the Finding Nemo the musical episode as your first episode? Well, let me tell you. The Letterboxd game is where Mark tries to guess movies based on films that Letterboxd says we might also enjoy. So if Letterboxd recommends Big Hero 6 and Megamind in the recommended tab, the film you might be trying to guess could be Spider-Man's and Spider-Verse. I start by giving you the first five recommended titles. After every wrong guess of the original movies, you either get more titles or another hint. I leave titles out of the recommended list if they're the same director of the original film or are in the same franchise. So for Spider-Man the Spider-Verse, I would not say The Amazing Spider-Man because it's a Spider-Man movie. Nor would I say Rise of the Guardians because it's directed by Peter Ramsey, who also directed Spider-Man the Spider-Verse. So, as always, I have ten films that I organize by popularity. Mark will get the top three most popular of these ten. So are you ready for your most popular one of these?
0: Yes, wahoo!
1: Your five films are: Boogeyman, Lights Out, The Babadook, Hereditary, It 2017. It follows. It is not. It follows. Let's see where it follows. If it follows, is in the top twenty-five. It is not. Oh, wait. No, it is. It is. Sorry. It is. It is in the top 25. Good. How is this not? Yeah, it's in the top 25. Give me another guess before I give you a hint.
0: Is it Skinner Rink? Yes, it is Skinnamarink. All right. Great film. Yeah, great film. Do
1: you just want to do round two then? Yeah. All right, round two. This might be a really quick game today, I feel like. I think all three of these are kind of easy. Um, Remember, round two is... I say that to jinx you, so that way this becomes hard. We will hard. see. Your five films are Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Aquaman, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End.
0: The Mummy 2. What's the title of The Mummy 2? I don't know. It's
1: The Mummy Returns, yeah. Oh my Aided gosh.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, great.
1: Alright, you ready for the final round? (laughs) I told you this one was going to be quick.
0: Yeah, alright. Alright, your
1: final round goes The Hate You Give, Do The Right Thing, Black Klansman, American History X, American Son.
0: Emancipation.
1: It is not Emancipation. Emancipation is not in the top 25. Till? It is not Till. Till is not in the top 25. So now you get the year. The year is 2004. That shouldn't be my guess. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me correct something. This movie played at festivals in 2004, was released in 2005. So Letterboxd has it listed as 04, but it is an 05 movie by anyone's standards.
0: Can I make a guess that I might cut out of the final cut? Is it Training Day?
1: Why are you gonna cut that out of the final cut? It's gonna bleep your guest out. Is that is that your plan? No,
0: because I'm because I don't think it's Training Day, but Training Day is also like a bad guess because it's a Denzel Washington action movie, and I I know this is like black American cinema prestige picture.
1: Training Day is not a top twenty-five. So next, you get five additional films, and then I'll re- do the recap as I always do. Five additional films are. Fruit it's vale a Station because it
0: has Denzel Washington in it.
1: i trying to I haven't seen it. Um, but your five additional it's, films it's are Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station, Three of Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, The Help, Lakeview Terrace, which is a movie I've never heard of, but then I clicked it and saw the director and figured you knew heard of this movie. Um, do you know who directed it? No. It's a director we all hate at film school. i uh, not film school. Theater school.
0: Mm-hmm. What? what? Did I just
1: tell you are you Googling
0: it? Yeah, I'm just just Googling it. Or you can tell me, whatever.
1: It's Neil Butte
0: Oh, LaMau. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I feel like he's... Isn't he, like, a terrible person?
1: Yeah. Um, and then the final one is Queen and Slim. So your ten total films were... And this is a film from 2004 that was released in the U.S. in 2005. The Hate You Give, Do the Right Thing, Black Klansman, American History X, American Son, Fruitvale Station, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, The Help... Lakeview Terrace, Queen, and Slim.
0: Man, oh man. The Help? Didn't I say The Help? Seems... I said The Help. The Help was something oh, I Oh, you said The Help. Oh.
1: Yeah. The Help is one of the 10 films. You can't guess it. You're not allowed to. <laughs> um, Doubt? This is not an obscure film. It, it I'm really I'm sure isn't. it's
0: not. I just can't <laughs> think of what happened in 2004.
1: Or 05, really, for America
0: did did you watch like steve mcqueen's short film bear
1: no i didn't (laughs) and bear is another 25 so next you get the actor build the numbers you hit in the top 25 you haven't hit anything so you'll get the first build actor in this film first build actor is sandra bullock
0: oh is it the blind side
1: it is not the blind side. The blind side is not in the top 25. <laughs> <laughs> you're so confident. <laughs>
0: no. Well, well, you are you're, you're kind of threw me for a loop there. And now I... What is... No. What could this be? Well, I'll
1: give you the director next, but I do want to give one little hint, maybe beforehand that might get you there, is I'd say the one of all ten of these that would help you the most is Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. That. It doesn't help you. Would you? Do you want the director? Because you have got yeah. the director. So this is your final guess. Once I give you the director, and the director is Paul Haggis. Who is that? He is very prolific.
0: Let me. Let me.
1: No, no. If you Google him, you're gonna know who it is. Well, is yeah, his, but I'm. This I is just... his most known film. His... You have to formally give up if you if you want. Like, I Google. formally
0: give up alright well, you're going to feel dumb,
1: because Just... the movie is Crash, which we talked about in our Brendan Fraser episode.
0: Are you... F- what? How am I supposed to know a damn thing about Crash?
1: You know it's a movie that won Best Picture, was about racism, and did it very poorly, which is why I pointed you to three billboards.
0: Jesus Christ, <laughs> it is the okay. Thir- out
1: of these ten movies, it is the third most popular on Letterboxd.
0: Oh, oh yeah, he's so, like, I would have... I, I, of course, know him as writing Million Dollar Baby and ca- writing Casino Royale, like, quite a a stamp he puts on his films. I shouldn't be so dismissive. He's probably fine. But no, I'm he like...
1: isn't. No, 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 no. Be dismissive. He uh, is, I believe, currently under some form of investigation. Feel free to be dismissive. He is not a good person. I believe he's been... Let me check this just so I have it for the record so I don't slander someone. Uh, yeah he's been arrested for sexual misconduct uh, oh yeah no no yeah he's been arrested for uh rape uh, oh and forced to uh, ordered to pay seven point five million dollars and then an additional two point five million in punitive damages so don't don't feel bad about shitting on him
0: yeah I, I don't even you know I don't even remember the name of that guy that like directed uh the new birth of a nation and then got. Yeah, I mean, I just can't remember, like, if, I I was struggling to think, like, is there, like, someone I know that made, like, one, one stinker and then vanished? And I just, I don't know, maybe that's just something I don't have in my brain. Paul Haggis. How was Crash?
1: (laughs) I told you when we did our Fraser Vaughn, it was the worst thing I watched. Oh, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I didn't think
0: we, I didn't think we really got into it, but. Oh, it's okay.
1: terrible. I mean, my I'm very proud of my review on Letterboxd because uh, let me let me find it. Let me... Because first thing is when I first got a Letterboxd, I put up all my reviews from high school, um, which infamously included my Avatar 1 review, which is just three out of five. And it's just... Avatar is overrated. <laughs> like, that's the entire review. Um, and obviously, I've gone back on that because I think Avatar is great. But my Crash review... I'll read my original Crash review. And I'll read my uh, one I did for the phrase bomb. My original one is three out of five. It goes, geez, I understand why this is one of the worst best, considered one of the worst best picture winners. Blade and Themes makes for a boring movie. The last hour is good though, but not worth the long slog to get to it. Now that's a dumb review for multiple reasons. One of which is this movie is under two hours long. So I'm saying over half the movie is good. So, (laughs) um, but moreover,
0: what? What's your new, what's your new review?
1: Uh, It's a half star and it goes, Issuing correction for a previous re- review of mine regarding the motion picture crash 2004. You do not, under any circumstances, gotta hand it to them. It's the <laughs> drill tweet. <laughs> it's just the drill tweet. <laughs> <laughs> you know the drill tweet, right? Uh, yeah,
0: I kind of want to get that book, but I'm—I don't know. I feel like I feel like since I'm a newcomer to Twitter, it's not a huge part of my identity, but. I kind of want to get that book. For those who don't know what we're talking about, the Drill Tweets account published four books, which are a collection of their tweets, but each book is different only in the way that it organizes the tweets. (laughs) So, like, they all have names, too, like Drill Refined and Drill Chaotic, and it's like some of the books organize the tweets alphabetically, some by, like, I kind of want, like, the chronological one, like that yeah, seems yeah, that like the sense. best one. But then there's also like Drill Chaotic is just all of the tweets, but out of order. <laughs> um
1: You know, did I tell you what Julius got me? Um
0: we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, because
1: it's like one of the weird things that really got me through the pandemic is um no, Julius got me for my birthday last year, um, the hardcover of Mr. Boop which I'm sure I sent you multiple times during the pandemic because I thought Mr. Boop was great.
0: I'm sure you did, but I'm that's slipping my brain right now.
1: Uh, Mr. Boop is a webcomic by Alec Robbins, who now, he, at the time, I believe, well, at the time it was the pandemic, but he worked on the Eric Andre show, and now he works at that company that made the video game that had Justin Roiland's voice in it, but he's not really involved. What?
0: Oh, I found it. Now I remember. But now you're on, Because you should explain it to the people who are listening. Yeah, so
1: Mr. Boop is, if I want to be very fancy about it, a satire of fair use and parody law and uh, how it is used. But in actuality, it is a spiraling story that is basically about... It's a parody of self-insert fan fiction... Where the guy, the main character is Alec Robbins, who of course is the writer of the comic, and he is married to his wife Betty Boop, and they have hot sex all the time. Um, but Them Bugs Bunny gets involved, Mickey Mouse gets involved, and it just becomes a spiraling, incredible story about copyright law. Because at the end of the first, it's got four parts to it. At the end of the first part, um, Alec is shot by Sonic the Hedgehog, if I remember right who was hired by Bugs Bunny to kill him. And then the second one is a deaf dream. Second part is like a deaf dream he has in a reality where he was never married to Betty Boop. And then the third one is like when the copyright law actually gets involved. And the fourth one, I don't know, you should just like if you're into like I'll put it this way. You can read the first twenty strips of these, which is very quick, 'cause they're what like I know twenty sounds like that's a lot. They're three panels each, so it's really not that much three twenty strips. You read the first 20 strips that you're going to know immediately if it is your type of humor or not. Uh, I find it hysterical. And there was one every day during the pandemic. And it really, like, it was something where every morning I would go on Twitter immediately, like, see the Mr. Boop. I'd be like, yes, yes. (laughs) And it would just really, it it lasted the whole 2020. And it was my favorite thing to come out of 2020, honestly. I'm sorry, um, Sound of Metal or Soul. The best piece of media in 2020 was Mr. Boop. And Julius got me the hardcover copy of it, which I actually do really want to crack at because um, at some point, in the at certain points, the narrative became like, it's a Flash game you have to play today instead of reading a comic. Or it is a YouTube video of Alec in front of a webcam, like in mm-hmm. real life, explaining the comic in character. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something where it's like, I need to read this. I need to figure out how this covers the ending of it because the ending of it really just becomes something else entirely and mm-hmm. it was really magical to see unfold in real time as it happened. Um, I don't know why I brought that up.
0: Oh, because we're talking about drill tweets.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That was Twitter. R.I.P. We missed it. Um, mm. Stuff all removed from the letterbox game this week, just so you know. Before we go on to talking about our topic,
0: I, I pulled up my favorite duel, drill tweet in case All right. Case go ahead. Then I can read these. Want... Oh, well, I'm, I didn't. I, I thought no. the moment passed, and then I keep looking at it and laughing at it. I don't even know if it travels well over audio versus is reading it.
1: The, it. A, uh, just say it. I, I have a bet on what it is, but I'll see what it is.
0: My favorite drill tweet is the one that goes, In a world where big data threatens to commodify our lives, telling online surveys that I don't know what Pringles are constitutes heroism. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know that one, that
0: good. <laughs> yeah, that was. Yeah, that's my favorite one.
1: <laughs> I was expecting it to be the candle one, which is like the most basic one. So. No,
0: but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a good one. That that's no, that's like the one, but not my favorite. Someone... Not my personal <laughs>
1: Really. So someone did the candle one at me the other day. It was really good because I kept on oversleeping on my nap. That week, the uh, last of episode three came out, and I kept like going like, ah, I don't have time to watch it now because it's such a long episode, and I really want to like take it in and not feel rushed while watching it. And it was like Thursday, and I still had done it. And this had happened every day, and someone just said, uh, it was like two hours of work, two hours driving, uh, eighteen hours of sleep. Someone needs help to help budget <laughs> his time. He needs to have time to watch the last of us. <laughs> <laughs> i was like dang that one's pretty good <laughs> all right the ones i'm removing from the, the the pool will be a man called Otto, ninochka the original house party movie the nun story and the air i breathe
0: how was house party
1: Oof, it was fine i don't want i don't be too negative towards it um because i feel like it was one of those things where it's kind of plotless and you, i feel like i you had to be in the right mood for it and i wasn't in the mood for it when i was watching it
0: you know the Nochka is really good, though. Kind of...
1: Highly recommend the Nochka.
0: Well, Danny, do you want to talk about what we're here to talk about?
1: Yes, we are here to talk about. I know we usually keep the groundbreaker bit for our main films, but this is, is it a, a groundbreaker
0: for us. I think that's what it is.
1: It is a groundbreaking moment for us. This is our first theatrical show we'll be covering on this podcast, which I think is worth celebrating for another reason, which is because. Longtime fans of my podcast, all ten of you, would um, <laughs> be aware that the first time Mark ever podcasted with me was when we talked about a theater bootleg.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm bringing that same wonderful knowledge to this episode where we talk about, I guess, not a theatrical bootleg, even though it kind of looks like it was filmed by one. I think it's a it of...
1: bootleg. It's just a very well-done bootleg because they didn't care because who really. at Disney World really cares, you know? R-
0: really? Hmm, I didn't, I mean, it's, it kind of, the first, the one that you sent me and that you said that you watched gave me the vibe that it was like, let's get these kids and pay them each $200 to put together. It, It was kind of shot like a record that was supposed to be kind of entertaining, which is how we used to shoot things at SIU, because you could also like, I don't know, it depended. There was, there were the productions that we had to just put a camera in the back of the theater and film it just in a wide shot because but then it was also optimal really to have the wide shot for trailers because i used to shoot commercials for our college theater program and now we have a friend that still does but for broadway but it was we should usually have them
1: sometime but i don't know for what
0: yeah i mean we'll, well we'll figure it out what if coco goes to broadway or whatever
1: I mean, if Coco goes to Broadway, you know, we I will fly out there to see <laughs> it, and we'll go see it, because we'll have to talk about all this. I actually was thinking about that earlier, because I was going to mention that, um, is that recently they announced at a Disney Broadway concert in the parks that Coco is an active development for a Broadway show. Um, hmm. I don't know if they said Broadway show, I think they just said for a theatrical production, which could be a lot of different things, you know, because... It could be, um, we're putting it into the, like, how Hunchback was, like, given a professional production in Seattle, but really was more designed for, like, community theater and licensing. Or, like, how Hercules is being that doing that, too, right now, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. Very possible that could be for Coco, or Coco could be to Broadway. I think, personally, as a big fan of Coco, but also just because Coco would be radically different than the other stuff Disney's put on Broadway, I think they should go for Broadway with it. Because it's a very different style of music. But...
0: Well, all, all oh, that I wanted to say about the oh, sorry, you were actually doing your introduction before I went on my whole thing.
1: Well, this is the first theatrical production we'll be talking about in this show. It is Finding Nemo the musical. Um, this is a musical that was began in two thousand six at Disney World at the Animal Kingdom. Um, had previews in November two thousand six. Officially opened January two thousand four. No, sorry, January twenty fourth oh seven. Um, And we watched some bootlegs from uh, 2018 and I believe 2011, right? I believe because it's 11 years ago. No, that'd be 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, So we watched two different... Well, Mark watched two different bootlegs. I watched a bootleg, the older bootleg, and then I watched half of the other bootleg. And then I also listened to the soundtrack because the audio quality is not necessarily the best on these bootlegs. Because there's Mm -hmm. a a professional recorded track where I actually looked up the people on the recorded track because it is... The notable thing about this music, and also related to Coco, is that the music is done by the Lopezes, who famously, well, they're famous for a lot of different reasons, but they did do also, of course, um, they did, um, Robert
0: youngest EGOT winner.
1: It's true, in the news. I was actually talking to a kid the other day about EGOTs, because I was like, oh, Viola, they're like, did you watch the Grammys last night? I was like, no, but I know Viola Davis got her EGOT. They're like, what's that? I was like. Let me show you. And I pulled it up, and I showed them Robert Lopez specifically because Frozen, obviously, they all know Frozen.
0: Um, mm-hmm. but It's fun that you get to be like some Saturday morning Spielberg cartoon in these kids' lives. They're like, "What's an egot?" And you're like, oh, yeah, "Well, I kids, I think telling kids what egot dun is dun is cool." Dun dun.
1: <laughs> uh, but I don't know if you listened to the um, the soundtrack recording at all. But on the soundtrack, Bobby Lopez is Marlin, and Dory is Kristen Anderson Lopez, mm-hmm. and. Of course, if they do a Coco musical, they will be relevant again. Well, they'll be relevant again when we cover Coco, because they did Remember Me for Coco. Um, I hope they... uh, My hot take for the Coco musical is I don't want them doing the music. Um, Because I think if you actually look at the credits on Coco's music, they only did Remember Me. And the rest of the music was done by Jermaine Franco and Adrian Molina. And I think Remember Me is a very good song. But I think if you're to populate an entire musical with songs, I'd rather have stuff that sounds like Poco Loco. You like rather
0: that. would have that. I feel like there is no way that is going to happen. Come on. If it did, I would be very cool and surprising, but I can't imagine that well, the, the reason I don't Tony, think Tony have, Award-winning I, writing duo would not be Jermaine brought back. Jermaine
1: Franco is a Academy Award-nominated composer. You can get her involved, at least. I don't think Molina will be that involved, though, because he's working on his directorial debut. Um, but I could see Jermaine Franco being involved, especially because she'll probably be involved in the Encanto musical, too, because she did the incidental music for Encanto.
0: Um is Encanto getting a musical?
1: No, but like my point is she's in the Disney fold, right? Mm. So like I think they would just ask her. It's like how, you know, I don't know if you saw they're doing a La La Land musical, which is not exciting at all to me because to me I The appeal of someone,
0: La La Land was that it looked like an iPhone commercial. I don't know how well, you could translate that to stage. My thing
1: with La La Land is all the music in it, even though I I like La, La Well, okay. I liked La La Land in twenty sixteen. I haven't seen it since then. I should rewatch it so I can actually have like a current take on it. But my whole thing with that was, well, the reason La La Land works for me as a movie musical because people are like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling can't sing. I am like, that's true, but the songs are explicitly written with that in mind. Like you, you, don't, you can't put like a great Broadway singer on stage doing City of Stars. It's not gonna match to become this like big song, right? It's it, it's designed yeah. for these. These songs are designed for mediocre singers. It's like You're Welcome in "Fro" in Moana. The other songs are way more complicated, but You're Welcome is very easy for someone to sing because The Rock is supposed to sing it. Well, all this to say is that La La Land, I think my only interest in that show is that just they have said Justin Hurwitz is involved with the new songs. If it was just Pace and Paul doing the new songs, it'd be like, well, I absolutely have no interest then. But if being, Hurwitz being involved is like, okay, so these will at least like be interesting and play with that, the sound of that movie already. It's not going to be something totally out there. Whereas to me, if you have all the songs in Coco, besides of course, Un Poco Loco, Proud Corazon, and, uh, everyone knows Juanita. If every song that, that musical is written by the Lopez's, it's those three songs are going to stick out so hard. Mm -hmm. Because remember me, you know, it, 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 it's a show tune that's in the context of the show, a show tune, but if we're doing an actual musical, I think it should sound more like, the other music in it mm-hmm. and i think that's what would make it stand out too but anyway nemo this is the lopez's i believe bobby lopez isn't this like right after avenue q for him i believe
0: right i don't know i'm not the super uh, big uh, i don't know much about avenue q actually
1: avenue q is 03 this is 06 yep this is right after it at the same time he was doing some music for wonder pets mm-hmm. what a career um well what a beginning of a career you know like very uh spacious but yeah they did the music for this and of course they would go on to make music for even though we just i just talked extensively about mm-hmm. coco they of course wrote the music for frozen which is and more they wrote
0: Disney. agatha all along so interesting hearing their work and kind of realizing that their hand was in all of this they have such they have that like they have a modern broadway style. sound
1: yeah well mm-hmm. they have a distinct style in the sense that i feel like since frozen like Stuff like Mean Girls is clearly chasing their style, you know? Well, Frozen and Book of Mormon, you know? Most people are just chasing this type of style, and it's a very Broadway sound. And this is before all that, really. Like, it's after Avenue Q, but Avenue Q wasn't big in the mainstream like Book of Mormon and Frozen were.
0: Here we are. We're in their world, and we get to look at one of their early pieces, Finding Nemo, the musical. It's, uh,
1: I comment this episode with a very loaded backstory related to finding the name of the musical. Incredibly loaded backstory to this. I feel like Mark has never seen this before in any form and had no idea it existed until like three weeks ago. I went and I texted I called my mom. Well I called my dad first. Then I my mom called me with the actual answer because my dad couldn't remember. Um because apparently I okay. I texted my mom in the morning. My mom did not reply. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll call dad and like when I was driving home from work. Dad was like, oh yeah, mom got your text. She just didn't reply to you because she couldn't remember either. I was like, okay, great. Uh, I'm just going to assume this then. And then my mom immediately called me and was like, I texted uh, your younger brother. He says it's this. I'm like, okay, cool. I went to Disney World in 2008. That's what it was. We were looking for when I went to Disney World. Um, And we did all the parks. I think five days of them. And Animal Kingdom is a one-day park. Um, And we did, of course... Since there's not a lot to do with Disney, uh, Animal Kingdom, we, of course, went to Finding Nemo the Musical. So, I have a lot of stories I can drop right now about Disney World. I do know one that I will definitely tell at some point, but I can get through the basic layout of like what this musical relates to on the way. Um, I, I didn't, didn't know you'd the... ever
0: been. I never yeah, have been.
1: I went when I was... My mom is saying that I must have been 13 when and went, because Tim says, my younger brother Tim says he was eleven. But my gut says that we went. If we went when he was 11, it must have been just after he turned 11, um, because we moved. I don't even think that though, because 2008 is the year we moved towns. And famously on my birthday, I don't think I've told the story before on the podcast. And it actually is like one of the most early traumatic memories of mine. Is my parents decided to make the big announcement that we were, finally sold our house and we're going to move on my birthday. Which, when you're a kid, that's not, like, you know, you don't actually want to move. Like, it's this, it's this, like, idea of, like, oh, yeah, the house might sell. uh, (laughs) But that's probably not going to happen. And then when it does, you're like, what? Like, this is all over? I have to leave all my friends? Anyway, they made this announcement on my birthday, which led me to break down crying in the Baskin Robbins. And my dad was like, I thought he'd be happy. And my mom was like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's why I gave Belfast three out of five.
0: I don't know what happens in Belfast.
1: Well, in Belfast is a mediocre film that has one scene in it where on Christmas Day they make a very exciting announcement that they found a place in London to go move to, and then of course the main character breaks down crying because he does not want to leave his home. And I was like, "Damn, this is like it's home incredibly." And I don't really like the rest of this, but this scene like feels very like emotionally true to both my own like past and also like how kids react to stuff like this. And I really mm-hmm. like that it's here in this movie. And it's the only reason I gave the movie a passing grade was because it had that scene. But anyway, so I'm convinced it is, bef- I'm convinced I went before my birthday. So I would have been 12 and my brother would have been 10, even though my brother says he's 11. Doesn't really matter. I just say, I think we went here before I knew we were going to move. Uh, Very fun trip. 12, I think, is, I think my older brother might have. Had a little less. I mean, he seemed like he had a good time. I'd have to ask him really. His memories on because he was fourteen, so he probably actually has the best memories of us, of it. But I also feel like twelve is like the perfect like, cutoff for your first trip to Disney. I think once you're past twelve and thirteen, it's a little more like yeah, there's cool stuff there, but you'd probably rather go to like Universal or Cedar Point. My story. Well, I don't know. I'll say I'll save my Disney World story. For a bit I do want to get more on finding game I have a I have a really funny story about our trip I will tell at some point during this um, so we don't have happened...
0: any trauma right now
1: no it's not trauma this is a funny story my trauma is there's no trauma involved in this today other than the thing I just said about when I was told we were gonna move so a couple years later after this trip don't know if I've said this on this podcast before but you know how a lot of people I don't know did you grow up a video game like uh like a game boy or Game Boy Advance Yeah, I had a
0: Game Boy Advance.
1: So, my history with handheld devices is my parents did not want us to have anything. Until eventually in 06, we got a Wii and a a couple DSs for ourselves. That's when we finally got video games. So, I was 11 when we finally got video games. My brother was 13. My older brother was 13. Um, And they were very much like, no, we absolutely don't want video games in the house. But I got past this because when I was in first grade, I believe, or maybe second, doesn't matter, my friend Giovanni got a Game Boy Advance, which meant that he was getting rid of his Game Boy Color. He knew I didn't have one, so he just gave it to me. And my parents can be like, you can't have that gift you got from a friend, because, you know, like, it's been given to you. You can't get rid of it. Um, And thus, I played Pokemon Gold a bunch and no overgame, because my parents didn't let me buy any overgame for it. But it was like, yeah, you can play Pokemon, because your friend gave it to you
0: um well it's a good thing you got that one that's like the longest one of the longest yeah. pokemon games
1: well here's the thing was um uh, my friend my friend gave me a completed file but it was still really fun to me because i always been the type of, i'm the type of person who if i go over someone's house to play video games i will just swing around a spider-man or like kill some people in grand theft auto and like you know play in the sandbox it. i don't actually really care about stories in those type of games and for pokemon i was like that too i was like he gave me a completed file of like a level 80 for alligator um so i was like great like i can you know walk around and uh just encounter random pokemon and completely kill them you know like it's a fun (laughs) time but my brother i think when he was in second grade so i was in fourth so i'd had this for a while so i had like i got a solid two years of fun out of it um my brother deleted (laughs) the file and so i was stuck at the beginning and i was like well i'm not actually good at this game and i just stopped playing it then um but even though they relented on the DVDs and stuff, they didn't really want to buy me an iPod or an iPhone. Well, an iPhone made sense because they didn't want me to have a smartphone for a while. But they didn't want to buy me an iPod because, in all fairness, I really, I've never really been a guy who's like, this is the music I want to load onto something. Even now, my Spotify is just full of show tunes and movie scores. Because um, if I want to listen to the radio, I'll just turn on the radio. My Spotify is I more listen to podcasts on. Anyway, but that's irrelevant. But when I was in eighth grade or seventh, I think it was eighth grade. Because I don't think I was very close friends with this person. This is the person I was telling you I should have invited on. Uh, it was a friend of mine named Sully. Um, and she uh, got an iPod Touch. Or iPod su- Shuffle or something. I don't know. A diff- new iPod. Not an iPhone yet, but an iPod. And she like had her nano? old. No, no, no. It wasn't a Nano. Because she had her Nano. And she was like, Danny, do you want this? Because you don't have any. And once again, my parents were like, you can have it. But we're not giving you. You know, like You have an iTunes account yet. Uh, and it's like, okay, I don't even understand how to use iTunes. I don't want to spend the money to load it up anyway. Because that was before I knew you could, like, rip music. So I had her music on there. <laughs> you know, like, what I mean? Like, it was her music. And lucky for me, she was also a theater kid. So it was, like, all the music I like. A lot of Disney songs. A lot of, like, pop songs I listen to. Very, you know, 8th grade Indiana basic girl stuff. Which is basically basic theater kid stuff in general. So it's like, okay, I still like this music. And I still jammed out to it. And she had on it the track of Just Keep Swimming because she thought it was funny just to have Just Keep Swimming like as a song and there was no official way to listen to that song other than the track from Finding Nemo the Musical. So like I know all the words to the musical version of Just Keep Swimming. Because I listened to that all the time because it popped up on that shuffle constantly. So that's what I was saying is like I should have tracked down Sully and see if she could come on for this episode.
0: And do you think she had seen the musical or like? I she think just she might have saw. been in Disney
1: World and seen it, but I don't think she really like remembered it. I'm curious if she did. Um, that's the other reason I was like, oh, I really should have like you know reached out and see if she'd be down. But I also realized this on the drive home about it. You know, <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, yeah. well at this point uh, we're not we're like, we're here. But yeah, that's my backstory. Finding him in the musical is I went to Disney World, and then it was stuck on the iPod Nano I had in middle. I think you know, I think it was seventh grade because I think by the time high school came around, I knew how to write music. Like Mm. once I was a freshman in high school, I learned how to write my own music.
0: Yeah, I feel like my parents were the same way. Like I just I didn't have things until later on, and even then, I didn't really know how how anything worked. Looking back. I feel like that was more of a problem because i had like shitty peers more than like you know want wanting to have like technology or whatever Maybe but was, i mean no. there are two sides of that you know i know a lot of people who talk about like being on forums and that's more like a 90s thing, i was, I was on just forums like, all
1: the time i was on tv.com well sure i just they... know
0: a lot of people who like grew up with the internet and that wasn't really me except for like Netflix. I gotta ask you because I didn't know about this thing until this is the day after uh well it's the day that the Cars episode came up and because I had a busy week I was up all night fighting with audacity to make this thing happen so I forgot we were doing this actually until I woke up and saw your messages so I got up late and I watched the really old bootleg in like a blur And then I like ate something because it made me so frustrated. And then I watched the new one and then I was like, all right, this is all right. And now I'm here. I didn't know you had all these good positive memories associated with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you go to Disney World, it's a nice positive memory. The way I'll say it is, is I wanted to go back for a bit, but then it kind of became this thing where they constantly add new stuff where like, I don't really want to go. Although, at this point, the new stuff always looks bad. Like, right now, their new thing is Tron. And their big new expansions are going to be like Moana and Kanto and Coco. And I'm like, I don't think Coco needs... As, as much as I like Coco, I don't think it needs something. I think it's just like have a presence in the Mexico Pavilion at Epcot, you know? Just like I think... I guess Luca can have a presence in Italy and Turning Red can have a presence in Canada. I don't think you need to give it something big in Magic Kingdom. Because I think IP should stay out of the Magic Kingdom. And probably out of Epcot too, but at least in Epcot it makes more sense to me. Anyway, I think when Avatar World came out, World of Pandora, whatever it's called, that's when I was like, ooh, I really want to go, but they say they're going to make a Star Wars thing. So then I waited for the Star Wars thing, and you know, Star Wars thing came out, they're like, oh, we're going to make a Marvel thing. I'm like, ooh, I should wait for that. And now we're here. It's like, well, the Marvel thing sucked. Galaxy Edge has mixed reviews. Avatar World still looks really cool, and they're probably going to expand it more now that the movies are out coming out. So maybe now's the time to finally go back, but then it's also like, I do think maybe I'll go whenever I have kids, you know, like definitely like something where it's like, yeah, you want to have the kids have the memory of going to Disney World and meeting all these people.
0: Sure. You can come to New York and do that now. New York? They're on the street.
1: You know, I think another important thing to look at this as, and I say this before we've even actually talked about like the thing, is this past December, I saw the Lion King musical for the first time ever. It's something my parents have always wanted to take us to see. Like, even as kids, but it was like, you know, it's too pricey when you're a kid, really, to go there. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, like, my dad is old, my mom is old, and we're like, we've all wanted to do this, so let's just splurge and finally do it when it's here. Because we all still, like, we are, even though now my younger brother is 25, we all still like The Lion King, because we are, you know, part of a generation where everyone likes The Lion King. And we've always Mm -hmm. wanted to see this on stage, and it was great. But, this to say, and I actually just looked it up right before we recorded is I feel like this exists as, like, a preview for what Disney Broadway is for people who can't afford it. Like, you can afford a trip to Disney World, but you're not going to necessarily go to New York to see Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or whatever, like, their one that's running at that moment in time is, right? Um, sure. Or you're not going to necessarily buy a theater ticket if you're not into the theater. But Finding any of the musical, yeah, it's a hot day. I'll spend 40 minutes inside seeing the cool puppets. And it's the reason I say this is I looked it up, and the puppets, the production design, is by the same person who did the production design for The Lion King, um, which is Michael mm. Murray, who Michael obviously Curry. Julie, Curry. Oh, sorry, Murray. Curry. I don't. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. My bad. Michael Curry, who did the music, uh, who did the puppets with Julie Taymor, for Lion King. So I feel like this exists as like that type of preview, and I think in that regard, I really, I think it's really cool, because um, I'm not saying this movie is the reason, not movie, this musical is the reason I like theater. Um, I obviously was already into plays in, when I was 13 because I didn't um, well no I didn't do it yet Th- if I went in 2008 this was right before I went to middle school and I already said that I got the Finding Nemo soundtrack in mu- like the iPad odd in middle school um, but I think this is definitely one of those things where I was like wow the stage is so cool and awesome and at work I remember before I saw the Lion King musical one of the kids at work um, brought in a Simba toy that I was like That's not, like, normal, like, you know, like, it's very much, like, a different design than normal Simba. She's like, yeah, I got it. I saw Lion King yesterday in Chicago. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like, I legitimately think it's very cool to, like, take a first grader or second grader to the Lion King. Or to a play like that where it's going to completely blow their mind. Um, And I was thinking about that during this and it's like, you know, finding. I think this really exists in that same realm where it's, like, it's way shorter and unlike Lion King, I don't think this works at all if you don't know what Finding Nemo is, because Lion King is very good about like we're not we're yeah. not skipping over anything. We're giving you everything, and we're adding stuff to it. This is very much like wow, we were just in that whale, right? <laughs> or <laughs> well, or, yeah, I mean, that that like, a because this one failed
0: like five times every day.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not I'm not I'm not saying it's 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 the me- it's not an issue. it. it's the medium. It's it's a theme park show. It's not a Broadway show. But no, I think. Looking at it from that perspective is really cool too. It's like this is like gonna get well. One, it's advertising what Disney Broadway does, but also it is kids are going to. It's it's a show that's designed to get kids into like theater and realize, oh yeah, there's puppets there, but I also can watch the people's faces as they act too. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of clever staging here too that like involves handing off the puppets um, and stuff like that. I think it takes itself seriously when it needs to.
0: Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's weird talking about this because I felt like watching the two videos was like watching two entirely different shows. I just, I don't know, I can't... It seems, it seems like... Ugh. You know, I saw Ohio State Murders and I thought the script was great and I thought the production really did a disservice to it. And with this, I feel like it's not a lot there and it's good if you get it on a good performer night. And otherwise, it's like... Let's. I don't know. I I feel the puppets are so cool. Yeah, I mean they can be. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. There's a
1: there's a child that bungee cords in this show. (laughs) This spectacle.
0: Yeah. Um. But I mean, even like that, it's like I don't know. You know, you said something that really struck me, which was that Disney uh, theme parks are kind of like. A kid's thing versus Universal or Cedar Point, which is something that you might be interested in more as an adult. And I think that's true because I'm like, I enjoy a roller coaster. I would not. Yeah, I'm. I'm less into the theme park aspect of theme parks. And this is just kind of the same. Like, does does this exist to like trick children? I don't know. I'm just like what it
1: exists so that way kids can go. Parents can take their kids inside for 40 minutes in a hot day. That's why it exists. <laughs>
0: Uh, people should do drugs
1: yeah definitely give that to the children this is sarcasm by the way (laughs) yeah (laughs) i don't know i'm like
0: (laughs) i tried to like tamp this down before i came on but i just like if i saw the first production that i watched i would be very annoyed um i liked the second one fine
1: i thought the marlin the second was so much worse than the marlin in the first one that's the thing to me is like the dory was bad in the first one but like I don't think Dory does a lot on this, this script. Like, she has, like, one song and is just kind of there for the rest of it. So, yeah. Marlin obviously needs to be good for it to actually work. Which yeah. is kind of like what we said about the movie, too. It's like, Marlon is really like, like Ellen's doing her Ellen thing, which is fun, but Marlon's, like, the reason it exists.
0: There are, there are interesting moments, like, when they do say, just keep swimming, and then they're floating over the jellyfish. I thought that was interesting. It made me think about, like, contract law, like how close you can get to a lot of things. That was something that really interested me, is that there are no contract railings. Law. Well, yeah. because there are no railings in this show, but there are a few times when people are on very high ledges, and I was like, hmm, that's... I wonder, like, what is the code for that? Because sometimes they have some kind of barrier. back but Other times it's like they're, like, high up, but it's not totally clear how they're secured. I think... Crush was really interesting. I thought Crush is um,
1: the best part. Crush is the best song in this. Yeah. What you don't like the Crush song?
0: I don't know. It's you
1: just, don't remember any of the songs? Just go uh, with the flow. I mean, the, the flow is like
0: <laughs> the flow is in my. I mean, that to me sounds like you know what if what if you gave like a your like hedge fund ma- assistant to an assistant to an assistant to a sub assistant like a song that was what that made me think of. It was very like it was very divorced from how I think of Crush in the film, which is an actually cool guy. And that to me is what your note about the Lopez's doing the music for Coco is, it sounds like, is that like I think the Lopez's their big Broadway successes have been shows which are kind of like riffing on a Broadway style like Avenue Q and The Book of Mormon. And then it's I I also think that I enjoy the shark song because it's like
1: actually the shark song is where I was like, this might be rough to get through. Well, I don't know. It's
0: interesting, (laughs) but I just I just like if it's self-aware and kind of leaning into that old Broadway style, which is not that old or whatever, it sounds more show tuning, I guess that works for me. But even then, I just like I don't. Know.
1: I thought it was nice. <laughs> I think it looks good. I think the music is. It's. It's. Here's the thing. Here's I'm sorry the thing about we're Disney here. One. I feel no. like
0: you're Sarah coming in being like, "Monster Inc" is my favorite, and I'm like, I didn't know this fact about you, but I have prepared right. thoughts.
1: Here's the thing about. I don't want to be like this is. I think people. I think Disney adults who very possibly if this podcast ever blows up could everyone be checking out here and be like, what? What, why, they, why is he insulting us? We're, we're uh, whatever, you know. Uh, no, Disney adults a, really annoy me. <laughs> they they me. What?
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, to me, but, none of that seems appealing. So I, I have no but, good things to say about it. But, but I also this, like, I'm just not is, that guy.
1: My point is that you're saying this thing about theme parks. I think universally people, and that's not a pun, I swear. People don't really like theme parks. Even people who go to Disney World. Disney World is like the exception and I stick by that when I've been to Disney World, it is the exception because it is incredibly like well done always. Whenever you go there, that like they stay in character, um, and you get to meet like you get stalked by the witch from Snow White, and she's like harasses you a little bit, and you're like, oh, haha, and she's like, don't you want to picture me? I'm beautiful, and you're like, all right, all right, you know, like you know, like that is the appeal of Disney World. It's like edebetics, right? It's like you go there for this, so. I I get what you're saying where it's like, yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. But it's also like, yeah, I I don't know. Any other one you would have tried wouldn't have been Disney World. And I don't want to be like, you have to spend money to go try this thing that exists. But it's like, I don't think it's something to dismiss. Because I'm someone who also hates every other version of this other than Disney World and Disneyland. (laughs) Like, I have no desire to go to Universal. I don't think I'd like it.
0: So... Well, I'll go to Six Flags for the rides.
1: my, My point is also is like, I don't mean to be like... And also... I want to be very clear. What I'm about to say is not shitting on people who do these jobs. I think we both know several people who work at theme parks, like as actors and performers. I think this is so much cooler though than like when I go to Cedar Point and it's like, Hey, my, like back when I used to go to my aunts, my aunts would be like, let's go to one of the shows so we can have some downtime. I'd be like, no, this sucks. It's just, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, it's just these people singing old songs and I don't want to be here. I just want to go out to the rides and like they might be good singers, but it's like you don't want to be there. But like Disney, the shows are like the coolest part of the park. Like Nemo is a cool show. Like they have a Never Lion King show in Animal Kingdom that's really cool. They have the thing that sticks out to me because it's closed now that I want to talk about. Well, I'm not talk extensively about, is they used to have at MGM. Um, well, now it's Hollywood Studios. It used to be called Disney MGM. Um, they had this stunt show where it was just car stunts where they blew stuff up and drew cars around on around. It was like this is the coolest thing ever. Um, whereas I like, feel like the idea of, like, just being like, oh, yeah, well, kids are going to feel tricked going here. No, because f- going to the shows at Disney World is part of it. Like, you go on Splash Mountain, because the thing about Splash Mountain, I know Splash Mountain is down out, I'm just using an example. The thing about Disney parks in general is the rides are not great. What is great is, like, you're on a ride and, oh, no, the characters on the ride are getting scared along with you. Oh, shoot, you're about to die. Or you're on, um... I'm trying to think about, another ride that's not, a, or like, you're on the Tower of Terror, and like, Rod Serling is hyping you up for like, how scary this is gonna be, and then you drop, and you don't know how much you're gonna drop, because Rod Serling hyped you up for it, you know, like, and I, eventually we're gonna do a Disney Parks episode, and I'll get more into all this, but it's like, to be like, yeah, I think kids would just hate this, is like, I know, because at this point, they're in a park where they're prepped for this to be good, like, this is like a highlight of Animal Kingdom. Not anymore necessarily, but at the time it was definitely like Everest, Finding Nemo, the musical, Checking Out the Tree.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I just can't say much because I haven't been there and I don't want to go, and so I lack that direct experience. But I did watch this. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't need. It's just like you're like dismissing
1: it, like ah, I don't know, like people, like why kids, kids, kids would be mad watching this. I'm like, no, they wouldn't, (laughs)
0: they. Kids would love this. I
1: was a kid and I loved this. (laughs) You'd be like, oh, sure, maybe. (laughs) I don't know if you saw the one shot
0: in, like, it might have been the 2018 one. And I don't know how far you got in that one, but it's like when they shoot the swordfish or then they're going out into the audience. Oh, I didn't get that far. I didn't get that far. Well, they're like, you can see the audience and they just look kind of like, hmm. Well, that's
1: 2018 also. when this thing has been. The thing is, when I went, it was new, right? I went in 08. This opened in 07. Like, anything when it gets older, it's like, you know, people have been there before. I don't want to be, like, rude about it, but, like, I don't know. I don't really necessarily trust that
0: audience. It's not about the audience. It's about, I mean, it's like, I, it drives me up a fucking wall when people that I work with or whoever talk about the quality of an audience. It's, you know, it's not the audience's job to pay their money and then also to, like, you know, what it's like liking it is a passive thing. It's not the audience's job to pay money and then like put in work to enjoy something, you know? Yeah, I would agree. So if if it looks like an actor is like moving a little slow or or whatever or they're like not holding a pause long enough or something like that, I can be very empathetic towards that, but it's also like especially if you have material that is fine but it's really like you know it's condensed Finding Nemo I like you gotta you gotta like sell that and I want to be like empathetic to people who have been doing a show forever but I'm just like if I'm going to this show that's been running forever I hope it doesn't suck and for it not to suck you have to like make but. it not suck and we both we both liked different videos of this short for for different reasons and it sounds like we took like opposite things away from characters and stuff like that is there like a fundamentally good th- like performance wise conceptually is it is there something there that makes us want to see these performances I'm like eh
1: wow but I think in that though you have in especially with a park show, right? Because I've seen I've seen a couple Disney stuff. I've seen, I was in Beauty and the Beast. I was I've seen Lion King. Um, I want to see Aladdin when it's here again because I was mad I missed it last time. I feel like oh I've seen Mary Poppins, and inherently with any adaptation you're going to compare it to the source material. But at a theme park where you know the puppets are like basically the exact models of the. You know, the stuff you see. Because in Lion King, you know, they're very specific. Like, no, we're not going to make it just be a theme park show because that would be stupid. Like, these are going to be very highly stylized um, puppetry where it's cool and it's not going to remind you of the movie. Um, But whereas on this, it's like, yep, these are the movie characters as puppets where it's more impressive like... To me, like, that they're acting and moving, like... Because the puppets seem pretty elaborate to me, like, on how they blink and how you can see them operating the puppets, too. That's what's more cool to me about the puppet opera. Like, in this show, you can really see them, like, working their stick while they're also acting. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um But I think my point is I think it's hard for these performances to engage because... You're seeing the character model basically that's from the movie, but you're like, that's not Albert Brooks, that's not Ellen DeGeneres. Um, and some that's why for me I actually like Crush, because Crush is this radically different character. It's like, okay, it's not just the movie. I'm not just getting the movie right now.
0: Did you watch or have you seen that video of the maybe it's the guy that does Marlin or has the Marlin where he's like demonstrating the puppet?
1: No, I haven't. I didn't I didn't see that. I just noticed around the end, like when they when they're handling it. And I was like, "Oh wow, that's cool! I guess they've been doing that the entire time, and I just didn't notice."
0: I mean, it's very interesting how they make them. They talk. There's one website that says they were made out of wood. Um, I'm listening to a podcast right now where Michael Curry talks about his studio, and it was mm. recorded during the pandemic, so it's kind of like about the pandemic more than it is about his just process. But that's all very cool. Um, I mean, in the puppet the puppeteering thing is kind of like I am. Not a puppet guy, so I don't want to be like dismissive about puppet knowledge. But it was kind of like basic. If you were a puppeteer, it would be like basic puppet knowledge about like, oh, well, they're like they look at the fish versus looking at the actors, and they're like directing focus this way, and they want to move but like fish. But I
1: thought the fish. performances were deep. like I don't want to say they were great. But I thought the performance like I would watch Marlin's face, like the actual actor playing Marlon's face. In the, the one I liked. <laughs> the other one I was like, no, I don't like this guy. But I was like, no, I feel like they were really into it while also still operating the puppets. But when you're a kid, you know, I remember very specifically, I didn't notice the puppeteers. I mean, I did notice puppeteers when, like, they they like them. But otherwise it was like, no, I'm watching, I'm watching Nemo, I'm watching Marlin, Which is why I like the bit at the end where they're swimming down and they just... Both put their puppets get hand their puppets off and they just deliver their lines to each other. And I'm like, ooh, that that mm-hmm. that's really cool. I like that. Nemo that and Marlin. That's a good
0: moment. It's very interesting that they they break like that.
1: And I also I was gonna i kind of I liked I said, I like when this gets serious. I like that it's not afraid to get serious. Even though it is missing the whale scene between Dory and marlin the fact that this show ends with Nemo swimming off in a long beat of Marlin just sighing. I like, like, I'm very surprised that's in a theme park show. Like, it was on, like, you know, if this was, like, a Broadway show, I'd be like, okay, sure, like, that's logical to end it. But, like, as a theme park show that is is designed to, like, keep kids entertained for 40 minutes and allow, allow adults to get the AC, ending it with Marlon just having a moment to himself is like, whoa, <laughs> like, great. I love that. I like mm-hmm. that, I feel like the staging in general is, like, we're gonna have, obviously, fun with these puppets and these, the set pieces we have, the few set pieces we have. But, like... I don't think it ever is really talking down um, mm-hmm. the script might be, but I don't think the performances or the production is, if that makes
0: sense. No, it just, there's, it uh, kind of has like, there's just some things that seem like half realized. Like I think the diver scene doesn't really come together.
1: <laughs> what, what bothers me there is let to do. I mean, I think you, I think you're probably a better reason of like, I, I assume you're talking about like the pro- projections. Not yeah. like working for you. Uh, to me, that scene is really distracting because I don't have proof of this, but it looks like they're just using a repainted Pride Rock set for like the 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 drop off to me, and I'm just like, that's so that that really throws me off. It just looks like Pride Rock. <laughs>
0: and, oh yeah, well I, yeah. yeah, it's interesting that you think that because I think that it might just. I know exactly what you mean, but it might just be a convention of, like, having a promontory.
1: But in Animal Kingdom, where, you know, like, the other big thing is Lion King stuff, it's just really, like, okay, right? Like, at least that's my vibe. You're right, too, but I do just, like, if you're here in this park, your mind is already on Lion King. Because it's, like, the biggest presence in the park, IP-wise. And Mm -hmm. when I went, now it's Avatar, (laughs) because Avatar is there. But I was gonna say, um, because I want to talk more about the show, but I do want to say... My story about Disney World, because it does take place in Animal Kingdom, and I'm going to find a char- a picture of this character to send to you in the chat, and also you can put in the episode dif- uh, the episode picture. What is her name? Divine. Divine is her name. Okay. So I will first send you. A picture. What on of earth that. is
0: your story about Divine? Do you know related Divine to is? Animal Kingdom? Yeah.
1: No, no, no. Divine Doesn't is everyone? a character. So. Disney Parks, you think the only characters... You're... I'm, I'm about to send it to you. You don't need to Google it. I'm about to send it to you in the text channel. Okay. Um, Disney Parks, you know, obviously they have Mickey Mouse. They have Buzz. They have all the characters that you expect to meet. But then every park has a couple ones that are, like, individual park. Like, I think the Magic Kingdom has, like, a train conductor who will walk around and talk to you. Like, he's like, I'm getting ready for the parade. Or, like, um, Epcot, it's more like, oh, you're in Mexico? There's a street performer here. We'll talk to you about his life in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. And Animal Kingdom has... Obviously, they have, they don't have animals walking around. They would have Disney characters walking around. But they do have Divine, Who I don't know if she's still there or not. But she's basically this woman who's dressed like a vine. Who will freeze for long periods of time and then start walking again. Um, and she is really cool. Hmm. And... She would like kept appearing out of nowhere on our trip, but uh, I'll send another picture for that. Like gives you a person for size, so you have some more context. Yeah, it
0: it looks like you sent me a picture of a tree, and I was trying. to That's what it looks like. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's that's what she looks like. Or like uh, here's a picture of her. I do. I mean, I do
0: like you know the circusness of everything, and I I love the different acts and things like that.
1: So here here's my story about Divine. This is the running joke about Divine that has lasted in my family since this this Disney World trip. It is one of the longest running jokes in our family. And I'm very proud to say I'm the one who made it. This we this woman we see like on the ledge, we just think she's like a part of like the it looks like she's against a lamppost. We just think it's a decor, you know, like we just think it's a vine. And then she starts moving, we're like, whoa, and we watch her for a bit as she walks down and she wastes us and she walks away. And my dad, we're just kind of there in silence, like we're going no, we're going well. My parents are like looking in silence. My dad just goes, "Wow, that woman is amazing." And I go, "You never call mom amazing." Lamau. And then we're all just like, "Oh my (laughs) god!" And then the rest of it's literally like, whenever like we talk about that trip, now we go like, "Do you remember that amazing woman?" Like that's who she is. She's not divine. It's the amazing woman.
0: Oh man, have I, have, I don't know if I've, you've told me that before or if that sounds like a line from some movie or something, but quite a powerful No, moment. if you, if
1: you, after this, you should definitely like look up on YouTube some uh, videos of her because she is really cool to just watch move. It looks like she's still there because I see I, when I Google it, I see there's a couple of YouTube things from this year um, where she's still there, which is awesome. I'm glad they didn't get rid of her, mm-hmm. but that's my animal kingdom story about Divine.
0: I have weirdly not, just talking about street performers, I have not seen a lot of the, like, New York things you think you'd see. Like, I saw the underwear cowboy, and there was a guy in Washington Square Park once who was doing one of those, like, station, like, he's uh, walking, but he's made of gold and frozen. But I haven't seen a lot of that.
1: Well, we've, we've talked about Street Performers on here before. I don't usually see anything really cool here other than, of course, I've mentioned before, the the jazz band that's always outside any Broadway show you see, in Chica- like Broadway in Chicago show you see. What I was going to say also is, and I don't remember this with us, but it also might have been just that we were in a rush out, but I have to imagine there were points with this show where afterwards the you got to talk to the puppet, you know, because that's the whole appeal of Disney World too is you get to meet these people. And mm-hmm. I'm curious if... If not, that's something they really should do. Cause I know that right now they've cut the show down to a twenty-five minute. That's what it is now, so they could fit in more shows. But to me I'd be like, cut down the twenty-five minutes, but keep it as a forty minute slot, and then afterwards see if, like get actors who can improvise these characters and talk to the kids as Marlin and Dory. Cause mm-hmm. obviously you can't have them walking around Animal Kingdom with these puppets, because they're highly elaborate and like probably really expensive. Um and like you know, all you need is like one person to try to like snatch the puppet out of someone's hand and that you know, probably like I, I imagine they're very easy to snatch. Um like yeah. they're constantly taking them off their poles in this show. Um although I think also that's they the have an the, Well were they in character or were they just showing how the puppet worked? That's they were
0: showing how the puppet worked, but I thought it was the guy that played Marlin.
1: Well that makes sense too. Like, you know, a behind the scenes bit. Because mm-hmm. Disney's all about that too. Like unless it's like ruining the magic, but in that case, you know, it's a musical and they bow at the end anyway, so you know these aren't characters. But I was going to say, I, I'm describing all of a sudden, I'm realizing I'm actually describing a, the other Nemo attraction, which is Turtle Talk with Crush, which is just at Epcot and you talk to Crush and Crush is like a CGI character that improved in a booth away from you and like answers kids' questions about being a turtle. But Nemo is very lucrative for the Disney parts. Everyone loves Nemo. Why don't we get a Dory musical?
0: I thought that was what the new one was.
1: No, it's just, I think it's just the same show, I believe it's just the same show, but cut down to 25 minutes. I just think, I I gotta say though, the one thing this cuts that I think, I mean, there's a lot of things this cuts, obviously, it's getting down to 40 minutes. I think it's kind of insane to adapt Finding Nemo, uh, and not include any speaking whale. (laughs) Like, that's one of the most iconic jokes in the movie.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you.
1: You don't want to talk about this anymore? You don't want to talk about Nemo? Well, no, anymore? I do.
0: I just was... I don't know why my brain like short-circuited. I think it's weirder that Nemo's escape is kind of alluded to and not shown. I think the whale thing could have been like... like. Of course I speak English. I also speak whale. La 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 la. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not so sure why that long? wasn't incorporated somehow. But uh, I kind of got it because I was thinking about that. And I think the whale is like the darkest part. One, Not actually the second darkest part. Well, there's a lot of dark stuff that happens in Nemo. But it's a really, like, sad, dark night of the soul moment that would be really weird in a 40-minute show. So I get that part of that.
1: I think it also goes to that thing where I don't think this adaptation really cares about Dory. Which is fine. I, I don't think it's actually a problem that this is more focused on the Marlon Nemo relationship. It just makes it... It's one of those things that, to me, it makes it a very different entity than the um, movie. You know? Which is... F- good like i think if it was just a you know what i mean if it was just a remake of the movie it's like whatever and then you know you do have the characters that pop up and like you get the you get the school of fish where they do like the posing and it's like oh that's cool to see like on stage and you get to see mr ray who's a bike and it's fun like stuff like that and then you get a giant animatronic uh nigel i I, you know i just thought it was good you know i don't um i was gonna say oh there's one joke in this i really like um which is the penguin joke
0: that's a solid joke that that yeah. joke really knows its audience.
1: <laughs> that's the joke that's for the parents. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, I'm getting a little bored at that point. We're like, oh, okay, good. This, this is a good joke. I don't know. Like, I, I guess I shouldn't really keep praising it because even though I like it, it's like, it is so like, it's a theme park show.
0: Well, I don't want to be like, I don't know. A lot of people like theme parks. I just, every time I see footage from one or I hear about one or whatever i'm just like this this seems like a trap
1: if you had to adapt a recent pixar movie into a theme park thing what would you do
0: like show how recent does it have to be
1: um let's go with your cutoff is inside out like inside out or later
0: well i don't know what you could be thinking because all i can think of are like joke ideas because i'm like you could go to italy or you could go to new york or wherever you know
1: Oh, well, I, was, I mean, the obvious thing is do a Coco review, and I don't want to do that. I think that's too obvious.
0: Oh, I thought that you know, came before Inside no, Out. No, that's not... I thought you were purposely... No, Coco's not uh,
1: I would do, like, a jazz club for Soul. I think mean, that'd be cool. What? Mark's, Mark's giving me a look. <laughs>
0: uh, I just... I don't know. I, I really wanted to look up something before we got on here, because this is... I think this is the first kind of thing like this we've done, where it's a product based on another product that isn't, like, Toy Story 2, which is another movie, but it's, like... Oh, or a short s- film. But how, how do you square, like, profiting off the IP with, like, the message of the film, you know? And I feel like th- there's maybe a conversation to be had about, like, the institutionality of jazz. Oh, sure. I, well, I mean, the, I think well, we're going to get that old discourse
1: when La La Land the musical, comes out again,
0: you know? Well, and versus, like progressive elements of that i just to me like part part of the reason i don't want to go to parks is i like if i wanted to go somewhere i can't i don't want like a a branded jazz experience like if they want to sponsor something that's fine but having like a ride that was like go to this club or something
1: I, i get what you're saying but you're looking this at this like now where i think as i've said most people who go to disney world like, our age who just go to go, I'm just kind of, I am always like, what? Why? But, like, say if I had, like, a six-year-old kid, and I was like, we're going to Disney World. That's very different, because the point of that is not the relationship, like, like the point of that is not, like, me, I mean, it is me having a good time with my kid, but it's also I want to have, I want to make a good time for my kid. It's not necessarily, my my enjoyment is secondary in taking, like, an eight-year-old to Disney World like do I want to have a good time yes but it is more important that the child I am taking has a good time and in that regard like for example I'm thinking when I went to Epcot you're like yeah you're like you don't want to do this like branded thing when you would ever do it sure I agree but when I'm 12 years old and like we're at a air quotes authentic German buffet no like (laughs) who cares when you're 12 (laughs) like (laughs) it's just like oh cool I'm eating this now and then I'm going to like get tacos in Mexico for dinner, you know? Like
0: Yeah, I think mean, I think that's part of it is like it's all it's it's based on like And that's what is literally no, half of part like, is
1: cultural appropriation, right? <laughs> it's the well, world that's, that's what I'm yeah. saying.
0: It all it's all like selling some level of authenticity that you know, why? You you just cannot do that and have a good time anyway. You know, it's it's well, I guess I already said it, but yeah, that's, that's part of the reason I wouldn't... I don't know. I can't think of a better current thing that would be like an interesting theme park ride to... Because I also think that like... Well, I wasn't
1: saying ride, to be clear. I was saying show. Because we're going to do like show an episode or, on the rides eventually. That's my whole yeah.
0: point. Is like, so like uh like a current a current Pixar show. Because I here, cause I think that any Disney thing is a cheap copy of whatever it is trying to imitate. So if you make Disney a copy... Any Disney thing, like
1: at all? or in a park are you keep? Or are we just talking about the park right now because i guess
0: i'm talking about a park okay but sure okay the park like, excuse is always me the julie taymore the park, park is <laughs> always a representation of the representation like how divorced from just like going to mexico or wherever do we need to be oh, okay you well, know what i'm saying it's like well, also why
1: are... I it's about the parks right now with the world showcases when i went it, it was very much designed to be no you're visiting china now you're visiting this it's like When you visited, like, the China part of the world's showcase when I was a kid, it was just China. And this makes me sound like, back when I was a kid, it was better. But, like, now it's, like, there's Mulan there, you know? Or, like, now when you go to Italy, there's, like, some Luca merch. Or, like, you go to, um, I believe Canada has Turning Red stuff right now. And, of course, Mexico has, like, a Coco show, I believe. Like, not a show, but I think there's, like, a kid who's, like, dressed as Miguel who will play his guitar, you know? Like in character, it's like there is IP now there where there used to not be. And that's what made Epcot cool is that Epcot did not have IP. It had stuff that was sponsored by businesses like Test Track, which is a ride that is like a racing track that was sponsored, I think, by NASCAR or something like that. But it never had like a lot of IP. And then now, of course, Norway is just frozen stuff. A lot of this has to do with, you know, like Bob Iger and Bob Chapek really valuing the idea of IP in the parks compared to the people before them who viewed the parks as a separate entity where it's like, we can have the Disney stuff there. But the whole point of these parks is that we want to create an experience like Walt did. Cause Epcot was originally designed to be this thing where it was like, this is the community of the future. And now you have half of Epcot, which is the world showcase where it was like, this is our idea of like the United nations, but at a theme park basically. And then there's the futuristic stuff where it's like spaceships and like, what will the future actually mean to us? I guess my point is, is like, you're, you're talking about this, faci- this facsimile of Mexico where a part of me, like, maybe this is me being like a Disney show. Part of me wants to initially be like the world shape. Like it, it's not even the Disney show because it is cultural appropriation, but it's cultural appropriation in that nineties thing where no one's really thinking about calling it a cultural appropriation yet, which does that mean we need to redo world showcase? Does that mean we need to fill it up with IP to remove, make it more of a Disney thing. So it's not bad. Or is it like, I don't know, I think there is an answer. Because I think World Showcase does come from a like liberal, like a like nice liberal idea, of, like this is going to showcase new culture to people while they're at Disney World. I don't know. It's this big conundrum where it's like you can't really tell them also destroy half the park and redo it because that's not really possible.
0: Oh, I'm not saying that. It's just I don't know. speaking of the Wachowskis, we would all be good to read the Simulacrum book, but it's. Yeah, that's my. I don't know. I thought I thought there might have been another movie that had a better show concept attached to it. What do you mean? Just uh, is is there not like, hey man, we're going back to medieval Scotland? Man, that doesn't like, exist anywhere. Like, Ride a bear.
1: I don't like. Do you want me to open up what the Epcot shows are? Because I can if you want me to. Because I the, like the thing no, is, I don't care about need, that. Need, I thought
0: you wanted me to pick a random show, and I can't think of any.
1: Well, because they do have like. Like I don't want to be like it's great because it's like I Disney Disney Parks does not <laughs> need me defending it really, but it's like these things do have like shows and like stuff there, where it's like I'm, I'm opening up I have just opened up Epcot where it like has these pavilion. The thing that's cool about Epcot is that it is really more of a park that you walk around and experience. It's not really a bunch of rides there, but it is still just you know. It's a it's a world, it's stuff like that, you know. It's you visiting place in the world or like Animal Kingdom, like Everest. Everest isn't based off of Disney IP. It's just you're on a roller coaster and a yeti attacks you, right? Sure. But those are the rides. I'm not necessarily, but yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really, I don't have an argument because I haven't been to Disney in fifteen years. It's just years. that
0: Disney is. Like, if we were talking about the Disney brand, like we talk about the Pixar brand, the Disney brand is like a sanitized version of something the else. World? The world. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's like a sanitized version of the world, and I'm trying to say something more specific, like classic narrative tropes, but those things don't actually exist because underneath all of this are really a few, a few people that decided this was like the way to tell stories or the way that... You should represent yourself in the world, and that is the Disney brand. It is like the
1: it's assimilate. It's like assimilate into this like Disney idealist world, no matter what. Yeah, which is why Avatar feels so weird that it's in those parks. Yeah, and Avatar is also like an idealized narrative in several ways too.
0: Yeah, and it's it's that's kind of the idealization is a lot of it. And that exists too in like Radiator Springs, where you have like the ideal small town, which is free of racism and even like poverty, really. Everyone's doing fine. It just it has no problems except people are kind of lonely. And it's like, you know, I can't say this more than people have already said it. But if you think that these things are a problem or if you just want to go interact with real people, and have real experiences. There's a value to. There's a value to the presence of danger. And uncertainty. And navigating that. That Disney doesn't give you.
1: And I think that relates back to this well. Because I do think that's kind of like. Why even though I like this. And I do think I like this for a lot of reasons. is also nostalgia. Like I'm willing. like I'm, This is still a theme park show. I just think it's a good theme park show. Um, but the things that like i've seen i i had opened up and we we don't need to get to them i don't think it's relevant really but i had opened up out of curiosity because the broadway world forums are still up and have never like lost their archives i opened up like some initial reactions to this show being announced and like you know the previews and people going disney world and singing giving the reaction um but, you know, there are still times, like, recent things where it's like, will Disney ever bring Nemo to Broadway? Because they gutted the show at Disney, and they could add, like, they put it on Broadway. And then you watch, like, you know, I mean, by gutted now by like, taking it down from 40 minutes to 25. I don't mean, like, gutting, like, what I'm saying now. It's like, the show is gutted. And I watch this, and it's like, this show would need so much work to be an actual show. Because not only does it, like, say stuff happened off stage, which is annoying, whatever, but, like... The actual emotional heart and danger of this story is not the physical danger they get into. It is the idea that Marlin is not going to ever learn to be a better father. And that is never really in doubt here, because Nemo immediately is like, I don't think my dad is going to save me, but it's not like it it the, the the emotional the changes that happen are not earned within this narrative. Which is fine, because no one is going to watch Finding Nemo the Musical at Disney World without having seen Finding Nemo before. Like, it is literally, like, I, I cannot imagine there ever being someone who went... I'm sure there are a couple of people who are, like, maybe, like, a grandpa who was, like, yeah, I'll go in with you, sport, whatever, who, who did that. But, like, this does not exist without the background knowledge of Nemo. And ergo, as a piece of art on its own, it inherently loses... The reason why Nemo is such an evocative film, even now, when we revisited it just a couple months ago, and it's like, oh, I still find new places to cry at this. It has that in it, and this does not. <laughs> I, maybe that's not what you were going for. But.
0: No, I mean, I think that's a compelling response. I, don't, I don't, That's not exactly what I meant, but I think that's an important thing to say, too.
1: Have I said, I might have said this before. I've talked about speech and debate before on this podcast, right? Yeah. So, back when I was in speech and debate... Um, and if I've told this before you can cut cut both cut me off and then cut it out. But my junior year not the senior year where it would like traumatize me that I didn't make it to the Nationals, but my junior year I didn't make it to the Nationals, along with my buddy Justin. And we um we were like we wanted to have fun. Even though, you know, it was our next year's senior year, but it was also like we don't really want Alright, the thing was, is like Justin had already decided who his duo partner was gonna be next year and it was gonna be a girl, because the guy guy duos didn't do well. Can I ask um, you?
0: Is this the story about Stripper Nemo?
1: No, it isn't. Oh. <laughs> no, I understand the assumption Damn. that it would. be I mean, be about they, they've basically <laughs> I, started the same. way. No, no, way. no. They start the same way, but just uh, one of them. Uh, stripper Nemo is senior year. The story is junior. Justin qualified my senior year, so Justin's not. Justin is the guy who's in the M M&M and M story. <laughs> the guy who was like, "They should make an M M&M and M movie." That's who Justin is. <laughs> but um. So, Justin and I... Uh, actually, this is around the time of the M&M story. Because the m and This is the same year as that. And I assume after we saw Divergent was when we started really working on this. Because it was the end of the year. And Divergent came out in March. Um. Anyway, Justin had already decided who his partner was going to be next year. And I hadn't decided yet. But neither of us wanted to do, like, the... Pe- like, his partner had qualified, I think, if I remember right. So, it was like, well, I can't really do this par- thing with the partner now. So, Danny, let's just do try to adapt the Emperor's New Guru into a 10-minute speech piece where we're both playing characters. And I was obviously Yzma, and he was Kronk. That was the whole thing. He wanted to be Kronk. Um, and the thing is, we realized, even though like the entire class laughed, our teacher was like, I literally have no idea what happened in that. Because if you take that movie and cut it down to 10 minutes and try to include the entire plot in it, like, and you're not, unlike this, where you can just throw in a line where it's like, wow, I can't believe that escape attempt failed, you know, and no the audience knows what escape attempt you're talking about, it's just complete gibberish, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't understand what's happening. I don't know how you're turning into, like, what this plot is. And the emotional beats don't work at all because you're rushing through it all. And especially when, in that case, it's like, when you're adapting the Emperor's New in Groove into a 10-minute version where you want to be as funny as possible, you're probably going to spend more time with Yeez Man Kronk than with the actual story because that's where all the good jokes are. That's all that I was saying is like, that's what came to my mind. Because we're talking because about... Yeah, because Nemo basically is like...
0: Yeah, because Nemo is referential more than it like, makes good narrative sense. Yeah.
1: If my, if my teacher had saw Finding Nemo the Musical having somehow never seen the original thing, I think it would make sense, but it'd be like, I don't get it. You know, like, I don't get why this was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you watch Beauty and the Beast, and I use Beauty and the Beast as an example because I think the Lion King is pretty much a completely separate thing from the movie, other than the music. I think the experience is completely different. Um, which is why it's the best one of these. Um, of, at least the ones I've seen. But I think you see either Mary Poppins or Being the Beast, you're pro- those are well done shows, I think, for the most part. Whenever I've seen, as long as it's a well done production, you're like, it's a bad production, it's gonna be bad. But I think the books of them are good. Um, I think you watch Being the Beast, the stage show, you're gonna be like, okay, yeah. And if some you somehow never seen the movie, you'll be like, okay, I get it. You know, or you watch mm-hmm. Mary Poppins, you'd be like, okay, I get it. But I think you watch Finding of the Musical, you're going to be like, what? Like, how is this a big deal? Like, why was this a phenomenon when it was a movie? And I think it's the same thing with The Emperor's New Groove if you cut it down to 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. What are we, we going to give call Finding the Musical? It? Yeah, what are we going to give it?
0: Um, you know, <laughs> I wanted to give it my plate that had my lunch on it that I'm staring at, but there's no... All the water is fake, so they couldn't clean it for me. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it some of my open thing of napkins that I have on the table in front of me.
1: So, Amusement Today has this thing called the Golden Ticket Awards, where it gives awards to various theme parks for things. I know this because I know one of my local parks always won a most clean... Hell but- yeah. <laughs> A golden ticket award would mean, I'm giving this a special achievement golden ticket award for best music and lyrics for a show, just so that way the Lopez's can become the first ever GIGOTS? Well, how would you say this? Golden ticket. GIGOTS? Get- get- <laughs> tickets. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Or I guess Sounds we could like just do, put an A in there because it's from Amusement. We could put an AD in there because it's from Amusement Today. So, EGOTAT? AD AD EGOT? I don't know. We'll give, It would be an Addy got because they would have got this first because this came out before anything else. They, well, I guess the Tony for Avenue Q was first, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll give it a special achievement award from them so that way they can get a, a better title than Ro, you know, because Robert Lopez needs another title other than being the only double E got winner.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's right. a good award. I just wanted to give it some used tissues.
1: Well, I liked it more than you. So I'm okay yeah.
0: That. Well, no, I mean, that's that's valid. I think I like I like the award that you gave it. What are do we doing next time?
1: Great question. We are going to go on a detour. I will say this right now to the listeners be very excited. We are about to enter a well, it's going to be hard for us, but we're about to enter a very I think it is a yeah, I'm just checking, double checking. It is a five week streak of us covering a movie every week. A full movie. isn't that what and we, we always do no because we do shorts we do right now we do oh, musical. oh yeah, yeah yeah we don't usually do so many movies in a row next one is our first one and it's one of two detours we got lined up we have uh, or we I have a very bad habit on this podcast of forgetting to mention the co directors with these movies I think I do it way too much and it's bad because next week we have a detour. Because Ash Brannon is a filmmaker who, oh my gosh, I just looked at his wiki and I saw that he is a major creative force on Arcane. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to do a detour on Arcane. I have no interest. I nope, 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 no, no, thank you. Uh, Why not? Have you
0: not seen Arcane? No, I haven't seen Arcane. Is it just long?
1: It's long. I don't really want to do TV show detours. You know, that seems like a lot of yeah. Uh, um but he co-directed toy story 2 and he has directed two other films for other studios and first of which is 2007's surfs up do 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 i don't want to
0: yeah and my brother will be the guest
1: whoa i've never talked to mark's brother before i hope we'll see how the power dynamic changes it probably won't change
0: very much penguins penguins looking for the ocean is produced by mark young and danny vincent our original artwork was done by sarah kanoff and each episode is edited by me if you'd like to be notified about
1: new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, LookingFortheOceanPixar.podme.com. If you want to know what I'm up
0: to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And
1: if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find
0: me on Letterboxd at
1: Blankments. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.